At 7.25 last Wednesday evening, ERCOT declared an Energy Emergency Alert 2 for the first time since Winter Storm Uri. What this means is that the grid was within 15 minutes or so of not being able to maintain the frequency required to keep the grid running. On this week's episode 147 of the Liberty Cafe, we're going to talk about why, after taking two and a half years and spending billions of taxpayer dollars, the Texas legislature still hasn't managed to fix the Texas electric grid. Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Liberty Cafe. Hi, this is Bill Peacock, and I'm really blessed to have you here with me today. Also blessed, of course, to be part of the Texas Scorecard Network. Texas Scorecard is the sponsor of the Liberty Cafe, and I really encourage you to go over there, texasscorecard.com, and find out what they're doing. Our podcast, our articles, uh, news reports, and find out what they're doing and what you can do to help fight for liberty here in Texas. Well, I'm sure everyone remembers what it was like in Texas during Winter Storm Uri. It was, in some senses, actually kind of fun for those of us, at least who didn't lose power, melting snow to flush toilets, going over to a neighbor's house to take showers, etc. Except, of course, the situation was deadly serious. It cost a number of Texans their lives and all of us tens of billions of dollars. But almost as soon as it happened, Members of the Texas legislature, the governor, the lieutenant governor, all of them started circling the wagons. They knew exactly why the blackouts occurred and starting putting together whatever stories they could come up with to make sure those responsible themselves did not get blamed for it. Unfortunately, their lies seemed to have mostly worked. The media helped us along because they were complicit in these lies And so for the most part, Texas politicians escaped blame, which means the underlying cause of the blackouts, besides them, was never addressed. Which brings us now to last Wednesday's Energy Emergency Alert 2, which was issued by ERCOT, which is the manager for most of Texas's electrical grid. Within 40 minutes of this emergency being declared, renewable energy advocates were already out there looking for other culprits on which to place the blame. On X, formerly known as Twitter, Doug Lewin, the founder of Stoic Energy, claimed the cause was likely, he said, a big power plant tripping offline. Lewin also claimed that batteries were the only thing standing between Texas and blackouts. Of course, this is the same thing that renewable, the renewable crowd did as people were dying in the midst of winter storm Uri. The reason for their actions is the same one behind the actions of state politicians, both the the, the state politicians and the renewable energy advocates, and sometimes those are the same people. They are trying to cover up their complicity in decades of forcing renewable energy onto the Texas grid, which is why the reliability of the grid is collapsing. So I've talked about the role of renewables before many different ways and many different times, uh, but particularly when it came to uh, the role they played in the URI blackouts. So for the purposes of our discussion today, we're only going to examine the role that renewables played in last week's grid emergency. Well, as the sun was coming up on Wednesday last week, 
there were already signs of trouble from renewables. Wind generation started low and would continue to remain low throughout the day. This is important to, to be aware of because the grid has come to rely on solar energy from solar panels to make it through periods of peak use. But the problem is, as the sun drops into the sky after the periods of peak use, which is usually around 5 to 6 o'clock, solar generation drops dramatically, going to zero, of course, by sunset. So the Texas grid's growing reliance on renewables, particularly solar during peak, means there has to be wind in the evenings to pick up solar as the sun goes down. At 4.45 Wednesday afternoon, ERCOT knew this was coming, and they issued a conservation appeal asking Texas to conserve electricity. Beginning at 6 p.m., they stated that the reason for the request was because of low wind and declining solar generation into the evening hours. At 5.55, about an hour later, the demand for electricity peaked. As temperatures reached about 100 and home air conditionings powered up to cool down workers arriving at home while business air conditioning were still going. Yet, strangely enough, the, the grid was still fine at this point. And it's interesting to note that ERCOT didn't issue a call for conservation at peak demand. No, they, they, they asked for it later in the day, and we're about to find out why. And again, that's because things have changed uh, with the growing influence of renewables. And why do we have all this renewables coming into Texas over the last 20 years or so? Well, it's because there have been $29 billion of subsidies from the federal government, the Texas state government, and Texas local governments flowing into renewable energy generation and, more importantly, renewable energy generators and the investors in those plants. And that's all happened since 2006. So the result of that is that solar is replacing natural gas peaker plants as what the grid is counting on to meet peak demand. It used to be that, so Texas has plenty of baseload generation. I mean, when it's 70 degrees outside, 75 degrees, 60 degrees, 50 degrees, 80 degrees, we have all the generation we need, natural gas, coal, and nuclear. It's just when the temperatures go to 100 or falls down into the 30s, in the 20s, that we need peaking generation to pick up the, the slack or pick a, add more generation that we, we, we need to get through those periods. And traditionally, what has happened in Texas's competitive market is the dollars from investors went in to build these natural gas peaking plants that don't run a whole lot in the year, but they run when demand is really high supplies are really tight, so prices are really high. So they can earn a pretty good money from running these plants, not all that often, when we really need it. And that worked out really good for us. But now that's not the case anymore because renewable energy subsidies has moved all the investment money away from natural gas and into wind and solar, and particularly solar. Solar is really taking over the grid right now. So we've become more and more reliant on solar to meet the demand at peak generation times like last Wednesday. And it works to a certain extent, 
But, but here's the problem. Whereas in a period of peak generation, when natural gas plants were picking that up, they would go offline slowly and be there to pick to supply for demand, but st some would still be there to supply what we need as we went into the evening hours. But that doesn't happen with solar. Right? Shortly after peak demand last Wednesday, solar began to drop dramatically. And wind generation on many occasions, like last Wednesday, wasn't there as well. And so here, here's the details. On 725, demand on the grid had dropped by 4,680 megawatts. You don't need to know how much that is. I'm not sure I could really tell you how many houses it would power or something like that. But 4,680 megawatts of demand had dropped. So we were using less, less electricity as people had left work, and those AC units were, were going down, and just the temperatures got cooler. But here's the deal. Solar demand declined by almost twice as much, by 8,498 megawatts. Why? Well, because the sun was going down. But here's the, the other issue, is wind was also declining. Remember, it started out low already, and it was going down. And so when we, at peak demand, we had 3% reserves, which means we had 3% more generation capacity at 555 than we did demand. But all of a sudden, the reserves at this point in time, 725, dropped to 1.6%. And at that point, ERCOT was left with no choice but to declare an emergency. And, and so this recent phenomenon of near-grid failure, despite declining demand, points directly to wind and solar generation as the cause behind the grid's reliability problems. This simply could not happen in a grid without renewables. Because like I said earlier, peaker plants would still be there an hour and a half later to meet the demand as it goes down, and they would come offline following the demand. But instead, as we've seen, wind and solar, they don't wait for demand. They just go away when the wind stops blowing and the sun stops shining. This is clearly a renewable energy problem. So we have to remember that the, the grid did not almost fail on September 6th because it was too hot outside. We've had many hotter days than this. Also, the grid did not almost fail because Texans were using too much electricity. We've used more, and it shouldn't be upon us necessarily to just stop using electricity because the wind's not blowing. So what happened was the Texas grid almost failed because of that $29 billion of federal, state, and local subsidies that I've mentioned over the last 18 years have left Texans relying on renewable energy sources that cannot generate electricity when it is most needed. Earlier at the opening of the show, I asked why after taking two and a half years and spending billions of taxpayer dollars, the Texas legislature still hasn't managed to fix the grid. The, the short answer is because they refuse to do anything about renewables. But the, the longer answer, and it won't take me that long to explain it, but the longer answer is because fixing the grid is not their job. Rather, fixing the grid 
or making sure the grid is going to run and be able to meet demand is the job of producers and consumers joining together in a market free of government constraints. The reason the grid is failing, even beyond renewables, is because Texas politicians have not been able to keep their hands off the grid for the last 15 years. And each time they try to fix it, they simply make it worse. The only way to fix the grid is for Texas politicians to admit they have failed, eliminate all the regulations and subsidies they've managed to impose on the market, then get out of the way and let Texas businesses and consumers figure it out for ourselves. Well, thank you very much for joining me on this week's Liberty Cafe. Again, it's always great to have you here. And thanks once again to the sponsor of the Liberty Cafe, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate this show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.